This is Dream Chasers with Adam Coswell. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dream Chasers Adventures in the Future. I'm your host, Adam Carswell, also known as General Moses. And today I'm joined by Cam Deary, also known as Deary. We'll make sure we get all the links and all that good stuff in the show notes so you can check out his music. But that is why we have him here today. We also have him here today because we are mutually connected, thankfully, through the Tool Room Academy, which I know has paid uh, dividends for us since graduation. So on that note, Cam, I'd like to just kind of dive in straight to it on the note of Tool Room. Now, how did you find the Academy? We're going to get to that. But how did you first discover the label to begin with? So I've been going out to clubs since I was 16. And obviously you hear Tool Room music being from the UK. It's not something that if you go out to clubs, you, you hear Tool Room music and there's no arguments on it. I know Hardwell released on Tool Room, but I didn't know Tool Room through that. Basically, Mark Knight released a track called If You Had Into My Life. I got to go back and listen to that one. I'm sure I know it if I hear it. Yeah, it's mastered like an Oasis record, basically. So it's like all the frequencies are pushed pushed high. So if you if you put that through through some DJ decks, it, the, the energy level is like, is ridiculous. I would always play that track when me and my friends would go, we'd have parties and I'd always throw that track on. And then from there, you... When you first start getting into music, you don't really understand labels. So you're just downloading different songs. But I think that's the first time that I looked at Mark Knight and then you start looking into Mark Knight and then you realize, oh, he has a label and it's Tool Room. I never used to understand what the T's were until you put that together and then you realize, oh, it's Tool Room. Yeah, I, uh, I'm looking at the, the compilation that that track was released on. And that was right around the time when I first discovered the label too. I, I'm sure if now that I'm looking at it, I'm sure if I listen to it, I'll recognize it. I'm um, seeing some of the other tracks that were on. Uh, so this was on um, a compilation called A Year in the Life. Maybe Into My Life made it on this compilation. It could have been a single first. If you listen to the way it's like, I don't know if it's that style or, or what, but just the way that it's mastered, it's just, it sounds louder than anything else, you know, when you put it, when you throw it on. Yeah, I love going through the old tool room stuff because sometimes you forget just how much work the uh, the label has put in to get to where it's at. I always tell my wife too, like sometime in the near future, you know, we have we're about to have two two under the age of two, so I don't know if we're going to do this Perhaps. immediately. Thank you, thank you. But I really want to spend some time in London, like at least for like three or four months, because what I what I love about the UK, what I've observed from my one visit there in other parts of, of Europe, really, compared to the U.S., is house music is a little bit more intertwined with being normal, I guess. Uh, Americans don't necessarily, like, you really, they, they, your average American definitely has no idea what tech house is, let alone even know that there's subgenres within house music. So to hear that tour rooms, like, that vibe is commonly found throughout clubs in the U.K., I've, that gets me excited just hearing that. So I'm from... Well, a relatively small, small town. There's like 100,000 people. And um, one of the clubs that I used to go out when I was 16, um, Bontan and Josh Butler used to play. So it's like and anywhere you are in the UK, you get you get house music. Nice. <laughs> it is where wherever you go, you're going to find some of that house music. Love it. So all that being said, and it looks like you kind of, well, you've, you've always been aware of Tool Room. You really dove in once you heard that track, which again, Featuring Proc and Fish, great 
duo as well. When did you first discover the Academy? What was your story on Tolerant Academy? I think it was around the time of COVID hit. And then I I think I kept seeing ads on on Facebook. And then I was sort of interested, but you know what it's like. You, you see one ad, you click on it. You're like, oh, I don't know. You go off and then they keep they keep retargeting you. So I was, yeah. I saw it a few times and then COVID hit. And then I obviously had a lot of time on my hands and I thought, what can I do with my time? So I decided, you know, I've always wanted to make music and I've always, I would make music, but I would <laughs> obviously if, you, if you're not being shown how to use logic it, it sounds awful so i was making music i was sending it to labels but it was obviously never going to get signed so i then decided no it, it's what i want to actually do so then that's when i decided covid hit and i was like i want to i want to take this a bit further so then an ad popped up and i decided to put, take that next step and actually actually put myself forward and do do the academy and i want to as you use the phrase put yourself forward i want to applaud you because, I mean, as you've probably observed recently, I've been doing a lot of these interviews with fellow uh, graduates and students of the academy, which, I mean, even this alone has opened up a, a bunch of doors and connections that I wasn't expecting. So, but anyways, I want to applaud you because you're the first person that reached out to me saying, hey, can I come on the show? And I'm just curious, like, are you working with someone who encouraged you to do that? Like, I, I, I just admire people who are like willing to put themselves out there because I... I know what it's like and I know it's not easy at first. And so you're like doing a really good job just getting comfortable on camera now. I want to know where that inspiration came from. <laughs> I've seen your your interviews on the, you know, on the tool room group on Facebook. Sure. And yeah, I don't know. I've been I've been trying to get a lot more PR. And I think the only way that you're going to get comfortable in front of camera is doing this type of thing. So I think it's a perfect. It's a perfect opportunity. I know I added you on Facebook, followed you on Instagram, and I was like, oh, look, can I, can I come on? So I think if you if you have that opportunity to do something, you might as well jump on and try and do it. Yeah, I love it. And hopefully my DMs don't don't blow up after this interview, which uh, I mean, that, that would be a good thing too, right? Like I'm, we're definitely, I'm not at, at that level yet where it, I don't think it would really be that big of a problem. But I just love that you were a go-getter. You reached out. You know, one thing that I learned from, I'm sure you're familiar with, with Shaquille O'Neal. Shaq, yep. he's a relative of mine. I think like technically, uh, you know, fourth cousin or something like that. I've got gotten to meet him a little bit and talk to him. And he was told he's a massive Shaq. <laughs> yeah. But one thing that so and I would recommend everyone to go check out his documentary on HBO. It's really well done. And one thing that he mentions in the documentary is when he was new in the NBA, someone said to him, like, the more you talk into that thing, the more money you'll make or something along those lines basically yep. meaning like the more comfortable in, in front of camera you get it's only going to help you yeah, and i think as as djs and producers you look at guys like the first that come to mind are like diplo and dylan francis they ain't shy on camera you know no. like <laughs> they're pretty comfortable and i'm not saying that's the only way to, to to get to this level i haven't really watched any tiesto or like i'm just trying to think of big names cascade interviews or anything like that and i'm sure there's some shy DJs and producers out there, but I think what you're doing, man, and what we're doing is like a really good idea for for anyone in the industry. If you look at Fisher, he's he's basically blown up just off social media, and he's that he's that personality, which is I think that that's the hardest thing as well. Is obviously our position: you sit, you make music, and then it's this the most daunting thing in the world is actually sitting in front of the camera and recording content coming up with the content ideas is it's like that's another skill in itself 
Well, the word cam and camera, like, you know, they're interchangeable now. So we're going to get you more comfortable. But yeah, what I, what I want to talk about is your latest record, Falling. Just listen to it as, as you know, again, right before we went live. The vocal is, is original vocal? No, it's, uh, it's, it's a sample. Yeah, really? Okay. The way you did it seems original, which is what we're going for in this industry, right? So I really like the vocal. Thank you. The melodics as well. It has a little bit more, I think, variation on the spectrum of melodies, which is which is a nice change of pace because I myself am like so ingrained in the tool room way of life because why not, right? Like I'm having a good time. It's it's been fun for me. Yeah. But it's it's nice to hear what other people in the academy are making outside of the label. And so I think you've added some nice variety here, which is cool, you know, cool to think about on, on my end as well. So tell us about falling and what the experience of getting that record signed, what was that like? Because I know you mentioned, you know, trying to produce and and not really having success before yep. the Academy. So tell us just about the whole experience of the Academy, how that helped you get signed and all of that. The grace of the Academy is the biggest thing from the Academy as you learn how to use your DAW. So Ableton Logic, I think the biggest, I mean, the course I did was like 12 weeks. Yep. So which one are you in? I, I was in, uh, I was in 30. <laughs> I couldn't tell you the number, to be honest. Oh, okay. I wonder if you're like, you might've been before me then. 26, 24, I feel. I'm not. I okay. Nice. Tell you. Well, like nobody's going to teach you to be creative. You've got to learn that yourself. I think the biggest, the biggest thing someone can show you is how to actually use the tools. So like I would, before the academy, I would just use samples, samples, samples. After the academy, I could literally have to use simps. I to actually EQ. I didn't know what compression was. Mm. So like I, I didn't understand the basics of making a track. I could throw samples in and then mess with the levels, but that's not making a song. Automation, for example, I had no idea what automation was. So that that's the that I think that's the biggest thing from well, the thing that I did was the was the beginner course. So I know that tool room have courses on creativity, etc. But what I was on was the foundation course. So it's very much you finish your track, but the biggest thing that I took away from it was actually, I know I can use the track. I know I can, I know how to build bus. I know how to do the automation. So from there I knew, cause I knew how to use logic. It was, it was then down to me to sit and work out actually what, where, what direction you want to go. So it's, so you can, you can be shown how to do it, but then it, it, all, it all comes from, from yourself, doesn't it? Like get your song, right more money. That's that's an idea that you've come up with. There's an interview that I would recommend. I'm probably going to go and just watch it again because it's it's just a short clip. It's with Pete and Mark. I want to say on on either the Academy's YouTube channel or on the Tool Room one. Mark is he's talking about how as a producer, at the end of the day, the goal is is make it happen. Yeah, it looks like that phrase is sprayed all over the academy somewhere. You've seen little squares that say "Make it happen." Um, I can see it in my mind right now, and I'm like, "Man, that is just so." That's what you're telling me is just kind of ringing in my head. Is like, you're the creative one. You're the one with the idea. Like at the end of the day, producers find a way to make it happen. Yeah, whatever that is for you, that's what makes it creative and special. The key is to make it happen. So yeah, congratulations to you on making it happen, man. We're, we're here talking about falling. Very much. <laughs> what are you making happen? Uh, you know, moving here into the new year now. So I have four scheduled singles. Nice. At the end of the year. So my first release was in October last year. And then I have four singles to to finish the year. So sweet. 
I think for, for me now, I'm just trying to learn marketing and being comfortable on the camera, as we said. I think I know that my my production skills are to the point where I can start releasing through labels. So now I've got to learn the skill of actually getting myself out there, like networking and marketing. I think they're the they're the next steps that I need to I need to learn because they're just as important as having good songs. I think that's one reality that anyone who I mean, just look at it this way. As a DJ, as a producer, you you are a business. Yeah. And I've learned this through what I do during the day at RaisingCapital.com. I'm even wearing my polo right now. So everybody want to check out what I do, go to RaisingCapital.com. Who knows? You might end up on the phone with me. But there's no replacing... Like some people want to outsource marketing for someone else to do it for them. Yeah. And there's no better marketer for you and your brand than you. Yeah, 100%. And sometimes it's like a cold reality that people don't want to face or they end up figuring it out later. And it goes back to what we were talking about, like being comfortable on camera. And this would be my, um, my two cents to anyone who's camera shy or, or is trying to figure this marketing thing out. And I, I say that as if I've figured it out, trust me. I mean, both of us probably have a long way to go to where at Fisher's level. Right. And someone else who, I mean, they got to give credit where credit is due. Someone else who's crushing it with marketing is, James Hype and John Summit. And so like following these types of people on Instagram, I think is really helpful because it will give you ideas. It also just remember, you don't have to wake up tomorrow and be these guys. Like they oh. most likely have teams helping them make content. So just remember that if you're like me and Cam, one thing I love is um, there's this American marketing and advertising guy named Frank Kern. I've seen him speak in person before. And well, anyways, on his podcast, he did an episode where somebody asked him a question, it's like, hey, when are you bringing back like the when are you bring in the fancy videos back? And he did a whole episode on how the videos that have performed best for him, like throughout his marketing career, are the unfiltered, non like the non fancy videos actually work better. Oh, really? I would recommend for everyone who's tuned in. And again, this is not perfect. So take what I say with a grain of salt. But if you go look at my feed on uh Instagram, you'll see the those videos work. I'm just walking and talking with my my son and and dog. Yep. And I know you did a walk and talk video, so yeah, with my dog as well. Yeah, nice. So that that if there's any nuggets you know, a new producer could take out of this interview, that would be my recommendation. Is just know that the the fancy videos aren't always the answer. You can just do like a completely unedited, unfiltered video, and sometimes those are the ones from from look up frank current too like those are the ones that perform better for him so next question <laughs> tell us about like you're doing gigs before the academy as well i've never had a gig like in terms of going to a club and playing okay i've had decks since i was like 18 so like 10 years now oh wow and so okay. we'd have parties and like we'd all like me and my friends would take turns djing at parties so it's more less formal than going to a club and, and playing. We'd all just jump on jump on the decks and, and mess around more than more than going actually and playing to like to a massive audience. It'd be to like 10 people in a kitchen. <laughs> sure, sure. Well I have heard Mark say on an interview before too that the best gigs to cut your teeth on are the ones where you have an audience of like 50. Because yeah. that way you know if you play a bad trip, like you'll know if you play something that doesn't work, <laughs> right? If you're in a, if you're playing in front of a, you know, 20,000 people, you can afford to make mistakes and no one's, you know, the whole audience isn't just going to walk out the door on, on one bad track. So, so that's, that's good that you're starting with like, you know, audience of, of 10. 
I'm kind of there with you, man. Like that's a big thing for me that I think I got wrong. And thankfully, as time has gone by now, I realized that I am kind of doing it the right way, the tool room way, the way rec- recommended by Mark, which is like, look, just focus on the music. Yeah. If you focus on the music, everything else is going to fall into place. And I think both of our stories about how we found this label in the first place, how did we find it? Because we heard a track by Mark Knight. You know, it wasn't because we saw him playing somewhere, although that could be the case for some people. We heard his music and we're like, yo, I want more. So focus on the music. I can't stress that one enough to to anyone listening. And it's also helpful to know because like, you know, we talked about before I went live. I got two little ones right now. So going and playing at the club every weekend is kind of, it's a bit of a stretch in this moment. (laughs) But yeah, I'd love to just kind of hear your take on that too. Because I know obviously we all want to play in front of, you know, thousands of people at some point. But what are you doing to to kind of just um, go deeper on what I'm talking about? The biggest thing for me is I wish I'd started. So I've always sent my music to big labels. So my my first release was on Perfect Havoc, who is the people who broke Joel Corey, for example. Wow. So I've always sent my music to to big labels. What I wish I'd done is actually when I finished the academy was send my music to small labels and start because I could have started my career COVID, so like three, four years ago. I could have been releasing music back then, putting put myself on Facebook doing like daily, like daily weekly posts. And I would be a lot further than I am now. So I would say to first thing for me is don't be so precious over your music. That's something that I'm learning now is I, I used to make a track and then it'd sit on my hard drive for months and I wouldn't send it out as well. Now it's, it does my song stack up and then I'm sending it to labels. And also the other thing is I'm trying to put myself out there on social media more as well. Because that, that's another thing that I think if you, a lot of people who make music are quite, they sit and make music because they like to reflect internally. So it's hard to, it's hard to actually put yourself out there for a lot of people, especially people who like sitting in front of a computer <laughs> messing own sounds. So right. yeah, the, the hardest thing is to put yourself out there, whether that means that you go into local clubs or you're on social media, which I just wish I'd, I had the mindset that I had now, like back when I finished the academy. Yeah. Yeah. Networking is kind of like what you're alluding to there. And I think that would be speaking of local clubs and connections and promoters. Like that's one thing I think, regardless of where you're at in your production journey, you can always be cultivating those relationships. Again, it can only serve you. So, I mean, I don't know how you go about doing it for me. It's like, you know, I just moved to Toronto area. And so immediately I'm like, all right, who else from Tool Room is here in Toronto? And then we like, we may actually, so this is, we'll just go ahead and do it because I'm sure our Toronto people would be cool with it. We've created this like WhatsApp chat for Tool Room Toronto people. And now it's kind of evolved to, to like mainly just like an inside circle for alumni grads. Nice. So we'll definitely give you an invite, <laughs> Cam. Yeah, great. And for anyone tuned in, if you want to know about the WhatsApp chat, like there's really no criteria other than like, we got to know you came through Tool Room, at least for now. Uh, you can talk to Natalie Knox. She's the one who helped me make this. If Natalie wants to lay the hammer down more, <laughs> then then you guys can go through her. But anyways, man, I think so. Where I was going with that is now I came to a city where I didn't know anyone. But because of this Toronto network, like there's the, everyone here knows all the different venues where like we can play now. Yeah. And I would imagine we can replicate that where you're at or even get get your butt across the Atlantic Ocean because I'm sure they'd like to see, uh, you know, there's something exotic about someone from the UK coming to play over here. So what do you think about that? <laughs> we all meet up with each other. 
We have. I actually just met up with... Uh, we haven't done a group meetup yet. That's one thing we've yep. been trying to do. But I just met up with someone here last night, actually. So that's a big component of it is getting the, the actual face-to-face connection changes everything. So we, we definitely want more of that. It also it, it comes down to what we talked about earlier, right? You just got to make it happen. Yeah, 100%. Got to take action. Got to bring people together. And so now you're... I guess I got to get approval because I'm going to be like, hey, I'm bringing another person in here that's not from Toronto. But I I think especially once they see the interview, they're going to be like, dude, who cares? Get in here. So last thing is I always like to know like where, what's your dream venue to play at, right? Like what's the one place if you could get a, do a gig there, where would you want to perform? Obviously like Glastonbury and Reading and Leeds playing. I'd love to play stadium and I'm I'm a Liverpool fan. So Anfield would be to be, be able to go and like actually play I think obviously if you if you if you headline a festival, it's the crowd. But then actually, if you go and play like Wembley or Anfield, or if you go like a, a stadium, just has a different sure a different feel to it. So I, yeah. I'd love to go and play play stadiums more than more than like festivals, you know? Because it's like I saw I went saw and seen seen the Rolling Stones at, at Anfield, and it's just the like a, there's just that feeling at a, like at a stadium gig that you don't get anywhere else. I love that because actually I don't think we've had anyone say they want to play at a stadium yet when I asked that question. So thank you for broadening my mind as well. I got to agree with you. I Don't get me wrong, playing at like a Tomorrowland or you know in the US Ultra Festival, like these are EDC. These are all dreams for sure. But personally the best shows that I've ever gone to are the ones where, you know, you're, you're going there cause you want to see Deary. Yeah. You're going, you're going there cause you want to see general Moses, not like a bunch of people. Cause then you get, you just get that more like intimate connection with the artist or with the crowd, depending on which way it's going. So I like that, man. I'm going to start thinking what stadium do I want to play at now? <laughs> you got to do it publicly too. Right. So I'm going to say it publicly. You're helping me expand my mind because otherwise I probably wouldn't think about it. So I'm going to go with, a stadium for me, it's probably going to give an American answer here, but it would be really cool to play at, I'm just going to go with my hometown, Cleveland, Ohio, at, it's Rocket Mortgage Arena right now where the Cleveland Cavs play. Yeah, nice. I think that'd be that'd be pretty cool. Or Progressive Field where the Cleveland Guardians play. It's a baseball team. So thanks, man. Thank you. Thank you, Cam. <laughs> yeah, I think um, our local, so Southport has a stadium, which is like, it's a small team, so you'd be able to get like a thousand people in there. So I think that'd be a bit easier to fill than like 60, 70,000 at Anfield. <laughs> yeah, that's that's kind of, that's the ones I was thinking of, but just because I couldn't think of a smaller one off the top of my head. <laughs> but anyways, man, thank you for coming on. I know we got to wind it down here. Let everyone know what's the best place to follow you and your music. Yeah, so I'm at Dairy Producer on everything. So just follow me at Dairy Producer. Boom. There you go, guys. Go follow Cam Deary. And Deary, thank you for uh, investing your most valuable resource with us here today, your time. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. Yeah, thank you. All right. And also, you guys check out Tool Room Academy if you haven't. I know it's toolroomacademy.com. Get in the network. Take your career to the next level. This is Dream Chasers. And remember, in all you think, say and do, take it to the next level and stay dangerous.